1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey and today we're talking Champions League. The final is set, guys and gals, and we'll also be taking a look at the CONCACAF edition. The final is not set of that. More on that later. Joining me today is the XGOG, the statistic mystic, the formation (laughs) sensation. He's the Captain America that always plays the full 90,
2: Joe Lowry. Ooh, that was a fantastic intro as always, but also maybe a little shot at Christian Pulisic for not getting on the field for the full 90. Hmm, Mr. Bailey trying to sow trouble here. I feel like more of a shot at Tuchel than Pulisic. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> more
1: on Pulisic and the other Captain America. Captain America number two, as we call him, round these parts, Joe, uh, very shortly. But joining Joe and I is a man who's felt right at home watching games in the snow and hail <laughs> in May. It's Scotland's Graham Rubin. Hello, Graham. The this, this, this
3: sad thing about that is it's completely true that it's been snowing today where I am, and
1: <laughs> that is just tragic, absolutely tragic. No, I, I haven't lived in the UK for quite a while, Graham, but that's not typical, is it, in May? Th- not in May. That is unusual. That
3: is notable. People <laughs> people have mentioned it th- <laughs> this week. You know, if it had been January or, or February or whatever, then it wouldn't even have been in in, in uh, discussions. But yes, it has been
1: mentioned. Slightly unusual. Yeah, thanks, Al Gore. Anyway, I guess, um, <laughs> Graham, you're reveling in the prospect of an all-English Champions League final as a Scot.
3: Almost as much as uh, Florentino Perez is. <laughs>
1: oh god you you two doing a podcast after this one i imagine (laughs) yeah
3: yeah me and (laughs) fontino we go
1: way back we're tight <laughs> well, we are guaranteed an all-English Champions League final, of course, with Chelsea. Uh, they'll be taking on at Manchester City after their respective semi-finals. We're going to be talking about both of those semi-final second legs very shortly. We're also guaranteed an American is going to win the Champions League. The aforementioned Christian Pulisic or uh, Manchester City's Zach Steffen.
2: I wonder who'll get more minutes in that game, Joe. Mm. Yeah, you kind of buried the lead there, Ryan. Uh, leading with the whole all-English Champions League final, blah blah blah. I think I think you meant to start with Christian Pulisic versus Zach Steffen, but it's early. We'll let it slide. I was building to the crescendo of that, Joe. That's what fine, I was doing. Fine. That wasn't I'll, burying the lead. I'll go with you on that one. I'll go with you. <laughs> Well, it's
1: an all English final, final, um, just like it was 2008, wasn't it, when we had a team from Manchester playing uh, Chelsea as well. I think Chelsea would be hoping for a different outcome in this one. As you remember, I was um, in Bangkok watching that game. I was on vacation at the time. I think it was like a 2 or 3 a.m. kickoff. It was a very surreal way to watch a Champions League final. So my question to you two, and I hope this reaps interesting results, is where is the most interesting place you have watched a Champions League final? Joe, I will go to you first on this one.
2: I watched a Champions League final in Mexico City not too long ago, and that was oh, that was really nice. fun. Um, I, I wasn't able to go out and watch. This was before COVID, so I could have, but I, I was there traveling with my with my family, and so I wasn't able to go out and watch with a bunch of other soccer fans. But still, watching the game and hearing other other folks around actually enjoying the game as well was was pretty darn fun. Maybe not as fun as Bangkok, but but still good. Uh, Bangkok's fun and different ways to Mexico City, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, was, was was it quite a big draw there that game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big game in a big soccer area. It was, it was fun to go around the day leading up to the game as well and seeing all these, all these different people getting ready for the game. It was, it was a good time, Ryan.
1: Oh, good time. Well, uh, un- unlike the good time or the lack of good time that a certain MLS team had down in that part of the world um, this week, we'll <laughs> talk about that one a little later on. How about you, Graham? What's the most interesting place you've watched the final?
3: Portland, the 2019 Champions League final, which I know maybe to stateside uh, listeners is maybe not that interesting, if particularly if they live in Portland. But, uh, you know, they, Portland <laughs> like to lean into the whole weird thing, don't they? Keep keep Portland weird. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, oh, yeah, that's
1: an interesting place. Yeah, that is interesting. The weather not too dissimilar to what you're accustomed to as well. <laughs> it was
3: actually scorching weather. It was a real trip to be told so many, t- uh, so many times to expect Scot- Scottish weather in Portland and then have to uh, roll up my jeans as I was walking around Portland because it was so hot. Yeah, that was weird. Oh, so you're the one who started that trend. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just following everyone else. That's what everyone else seemed to be doing, the rolled up j- <laughs> jeans in Portland. <laughs> I just I, couldn't, I, I didn't have time to grow a beard though in like the three days I was there. Well, I mean I haven't grown one yet in twenty-nine years, so growing one in three three days was probably gonna be beyond me.
1: <laughs> you got the in before I could. You, you, <laughs> you <see? laughs> oh bless you, Graham. Alright, well let's talk about Chelsea against Real Madrid. This one finishing two nil on the night. Three one to Chelsea on aggregate. A pretty well deserved win for Chelsea, this was Joe. Um this is, um, this is history for Chelsea. They've already got one Champions League final in the books with, um, their women's team facing Barcelona a week on Sunday. This was their eighth semi-final, their third one in which they've been successful. Uh, possibly, I'm going to have to look at how many semi-finals they've played against teams in black socks because Real Madrid, <laughs> that was what they were wearing for this one. But, um, I think the, the result, if I was a Chelsea fan tonight, Joe, I would have been having near cardiac arrests for at least most of the first half just thinking we should have buried this game so many times and there's a chance that, you know, they're going to get an equaliser and Sergio Ramos is going to poop out a winner here and we're going to be out of this thing. What, what did you think about, of Chelsea and, the, and, and the, the, haunt, the,
2: the chances that could have haunted them potentially? There were chances that could have haunted them, and that is certainly one way to look at it, and a valid way to look at it, but you can flip it around a little bit and say, wow, Chelsea created enough chances to win this game, and they do get that second goal later on in the second half, thanks to Mason Mount, and maybe to a lesser extent, Christian Pulisic, but I thought this game from Chelsea was phenomenal. I thought they came in with a strong game plan on the attacking side and on the defensive side. They came out and tried to expose Real Madrid's narrow midfield shape that Madrid was in that you know, 5-3-2 shape, or at times it looked like a 5-2-3 shape defensively, and, and Chelsea came prepared to switch the ball side to side to pull center backs out of position, and Real Madrid just couldn't cope. And then defensively, Chelsea were compact, they stayed solid, they didn't have to be the protagonists in this game because of how the first leg went. I, I thought Chelsea played, I, th- I thought Chelsea had the best performance of any of the games that we're going to talk about today, and I think they 100% deserve to win this game and this tie.
1: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree that I think it was something that we've seen a lot from Chelsea lately, Graham, is that they don't concede chances very easily. And it seemed like Real Madrid were just struggling to get anything together in the attacking half at all. And that might be an indictment of the quality of Real Madrid tonight. We can get to that shortly. But full credit to Chelsea for the way they're set up. And it's, as I say, quite similar to what they've done before. But one thing I noticed, Graham, was... Madrid had a lot of possession particularly in the first half but just didn't do anything with it it was Chelsea despite having less possession who always seemed in control they were completely controlling the game they were controlling the spaces and, and when they did have the ball they were brilliant of getting the players into the right spaces at the right time I'm calling them the Space Masters Graham <laughs> or there's got to be a, a German
3: word for that you know like what, what, what do they call Thomas Miller again the Arm yeah there's got to be some German term for, 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 for what Chelsea are uh, Tuchel probably has, has, has come up with one yeah, I, I think it was it was what we've come to expect from Chelsea. And I mean that as a, as a compliment and not to change the focus in any way, but in some ways it was similar to the performance from City the night before when they allowed PSG to have a lot of the ball, but you never really felt like City were, were out of control. Similar sort of thing from Chelsea. I mean, over the two legs, Real Madrid only had two shots inside the box um, Daniel Story was tweeting earlier that it took a look that under Tuchel. Chelsea have kept eighteen clean sheets in twenty-five matches, which is five mm-hmm. more than they managed in all of last season under Frank Lampard. I mean, he's maybe the only Chelsea fan who didn't have a good night tonight. As as poor Frank Lampard. Wow, <laughs> what a difference this team is! And and yeah, what where, where could they have been if Tuchel had been in from the start? Um, could they have mounted the a title challenge? I, I I don't think that's completely ridiculous to su- to suggest that, given how well they have done since Tuchel. Has, has come in and yeah as you say I never felt like I get what you're saying with the the, the, the nervy ending but but that only really came from Chelsea missing chances rather than anything mm. I saw from Real Madrid and we all know that unwritten unwritten soccer rule that if you miss chances that other teams going to going to score one but beyond the, beyond that unwritten rule there wasn't really any tangible evidence that Real Madrid were actually going to conjure up anything I, I felt Chelsea were secure throughout this
1: whole match even before they got that second goal Uh, You've got uh, stronger nerves than me and a lot of Chelsea fans, I imagine, Graham. But yeah, I I get what you're saying. There wasn't a sense that it would have been a bit of a travesty if Real Madrid have got anything out of this. Um, such was Chelsea's strength and Real Madrid's relative poorness. And you, you touch on Thomas Tuckle there and the job he's done. Um, Joe, can you go a little bit more into what, what what he did here and what he did right? I mean, um, as Graham was saying, it's been a hundred days, only a hundred days that tuckle has been in charge. He's got them to a, a, a Champions League final, his, his second consecutive one, FA Cup final as well, from ninth place to fourth in the Champions League. Uh, you know, and, and all those clean sheets that Graham was talking about as well. Quite incredible stuff. He's 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 baking with the same ingredients as Lampard, but he's making
2: a different cake. <laughs> yeah, he is. He really is. Tuchel's come in and done a lot of good things. Early on in his tenure, at least as far as I can remember now, with Chelsea, it was a lot of possession, like like dominant possession. But not a lot of chance creation. And now, even just looking at this game, we see Chelsea being able to create chances, not just with possession, which they did, but also using their defensive block to then draw the other team forward and attack into space. Tuchel Tuchel hasn't done a lot. And Maybe this is exposing myself as a a fraud here and unable to analyze things, but I don't think Tuchel's done a ton of mind-blowing stuff. Chelsea's possession shape in most games is just a 3-2-5, just pushing the wing backs high, and then they can slide back into the back line when they're defending. It's pretty logical as far as I can see it, but they're executing very well. They're coming in with detailed smaller game plans for each individual opponent against Real Madrid. I mentioned it earlier, but one of the things that Chelsea had success with in the first leg and how Christian Pulisic scored that goal— is by drawing the center backs out for Real Madrid because Real Madrid like to defend in that man-to-man style along the back line, at least for certain mm. moments. They did that again in this game. It wasn't Christian Pulisic that reaped the benefits, but on the first goal, Timo Werner, that, that came from that move from Conte and Havertz and Werner, came from Conte and Havertz and Werner pulling those center backs out. Not Not so much Havertz, but you get the idea. Chelsea had an idea of how they wanted to break down Real Madrid, and they executed it really, really well. Tuchel has got this team playing fantastic soccer. I don't know how far that will carry them against Man City in the final, but they are playing very well right now. And again, they deserve to win this game.
1: They are playing very well, but I think, Graham, something we've touched on before in the weekend review, and maybe something you have opinions about is, Chelsea, I think the word I've used is is they they're very professional. Um, and maybe that is a euphemism for boring, Graham.
3: (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. I mean, to be honest, tonight, um, is an exception to that. I thought Chelsea were, were, in an attacking sense, were very good. And that's reflected Mm. in there. I don't know if you've seen their, their, the open play XG from this game. So Chelsea were 3.76 and Real Madrid was 0.52. That's a big yikes from me, <laughs> the difference between those yeah. two, and, and reflects what was in nature, uh, a, I think, a pretty attacking performance from Chelsea. The number of chances that, that they created, we've referenced a number of times already. So this this was a little bit of an exception. I, I enjoyed them watching them play more than I normally do. But yes, you're right. I think generally speaking, I don't look forward to their games under Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel probably doesn't care about whether I, I look forward to their <laughs> games. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just I'm just saying it how it is. I, I, I don't look forward to their games much. They are a little bit conservative for my liking, um, but highly, highly effective. I do think one one player, and this isn't a revelation, I think this is quite clear from the performance tonight, was I, I just wonder how much better a, a true goal scorer makes Chelsea. I think I might have mentioned this in one of the Champions League reviews after the, the game against uh, Porto, the second leg, where it just fit that. Game felt like a game where if Chelsea had a true number nine, they take one of their chances and they're out of there without the the nervous finale. I, I, again tonight, if they have a if they have someone a fox in the box, you know to use that old cliche to stick away one of those chances, they're out of there by sixty minutes, um, maybe even by half time. And I just think you add a player like that to to Tuchel's team, and that's the thing that could take them to the to the next level. I, I like Timo Werner, but I think I like him better kind of in a, in a wide position um, than through the middle. But yeah, that, that was one of the thoughts I had tonight. Was just reiterating how much how much I think they need one of those players.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. And Werner, of course, making way for Captain America number two, Joe, uh, who seemed, it seemed when he when he did come on politic, it seemed like for at least the first five minutes he had about eighty percent of the ball. Uh, he was <laughs> but Paul was also sort of kind of struggling to find the right pass. I think a little bit later on he, he dragged a shot wide. So I'd like to get your thoughts on him and and um, maybe some of the other attacking players like Kai Havertz, for example. He seemed, he was really entertaining tonight. Obviously had a loving relationship with the woodwork tonight uh, in, in this game. And I was struck by his aerial prowess in this one as well and his playmaking, the way he was dropping to receive the ball a lot. It was, he,
2: he was, he was particularly impressive, I thought, Joe. I'll start with Havertz so I can crescendo to Polisic as you've taught there me to go. do, Mr. Bailey. Havertz, <laughs> I thought. I I thought was good. He did have those couple of chances and he did have a loving relationship with the woodwork. I'm still trying to figure out where I stand on this whole, do Chelsea need a classic number nine or do they, can they continue to roll with the three more flexible attackers in this game? It's Havertz, Werner and Mason Mount and they they can all kind of rotate into different spaces. I think Havertz is a good fit in a lot of senses for a game against Real Madrid where, as I mentioned, you want to pull those center backs out. If you have a Giroud or if you had, you know, a more classic goal scorer in a Cardi, like we saw for PSG, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that you get that same level of movement to drag the defenders out and then expose them in behind. But again, different types of players are useful in different moments, even within different possessions. And so it it is hard for me to draw those lines. But I thought Havertz did a lot of good things in this game, as did Timo Werner, as did Mason Mount, and as did Captain America number 2 Christian Pulisic. He comes on for Timo Werner in the 67th minute, and he he mishits a couple passes. He doesn't immediately settle in, but he is immediately dangerous when he comes on to the field. He comes on and he toasts Militao, uh, Uh, to to drive the ball forward on Chelsea's right side, Real Madrid's left side. He draws a yellow card from Toni Kroos, has a couple of really nice bits of combination play to pull Real Madrid defenders out, continuing that theme on. He creates some danger in the box, drags that shot wide, and then gets the assist for Mason Mount's goal, again being dangerous in the box and being patient in the box in that moment as Mm. well. Christian Pulisic comes off the bench, and, and you can... Sort of understand why Tuchel comes. Uh, Tuchel has him coming off the bench because he really is that classic FIFA sweaty super sub coming onto the field and using his speed, using his technical ability to create chances. And those chances paid off for Chelsea in this game.
1: They did indeed. And it was quite a good weapon to have a good change of pace to have Pulisic coming on, particularly when you look at Real Madrid and they have Mariano as their option to, <laughs> to, to bring on in a, in a similar way. So um, in, the, in that case, in that, in that perspective, it's pretty good from, from Chelsea there. I think we should also give the obligatory um, praise to Angelo Conte as well, who yep. does seem to do everything. He almost seems like he's an optical illusion, but I think it's because of his size. He can change directions so quickly. I don't know if he moves as quickly as we think he does, just because of the, the, the mechanics of his movement. I'm, I'm working on that conspiracy theory as we speak. Um, but uh, on, on Real Madrid there, uh, Graham, it, it did seem, it did seem quite disappointing from them, as we've said. Uh, my long-standing theory that Tony Kroos has a bad game and so did Real Madrid. He was. Very poor. He was quite poor in the first leg of this, of this encounter, to be fair. But he was doing more of the cynical trying to scythe people down. I think he tried to take Pulisic down, um, when, when he came on as well. Um, was it Mason Mount? I think he did the same thing too in the first leg. I, I forget now, but he just seemed to be slowing stuff down and it, it seemed like he was pretty ineffective as were much of the midfield. Yep.
3: And I, midway through the second half, I did have a wee think to myself and thought, the Ryan Bailey theory is holding up once again, <laughs> where Tony Cruz is having a bad game and so are, so are Real Madrid. Um, just going back to that to that Cante moment when he for the first goal, where he he jinks through the the Real Madrid midfield before setting up Havertz for his alley oop off the uh, off the crossbar. It was a moment that made me go, wow, Real Madrid are old. I don't know if anyone else had that feeling where it was, it was, it was like watching someone who was, I know, and Golo isn't, uh, isn't exactly young himself, but it was like watching someone who was 10 years younger play, play right through Real Madrid. And it does really feel like this Real Madrid team are at the end of a, a, a bit of a cycle now. They've tried to, mm. to eke out as much as possible from a lot of these legends, genuine legends. Um, but, it, it, yeah, this, this kind of this season kind of feels like the end, the end of a cycle. Having said that, I do think injuries need to be taken into account tonight for Real Madrid. They, they I mean, uh, Sergio Ramos and, and Hazard were in the team, but only, only really in, in body, not, not in spirit. Um, they, they had no, no fit right back. They were playing Vinicius at, at, at right back because, Carvajal's been injured for the rest of the season again, and Vasquez is out injured, and Zidane doesn't trust Odrizzola, despite paying €35 billion euros for him. Varane was out injured. Valverde was only just back from self-isolation. I actually think he probably would have played at, at right-back as a position he's played before. He played on the right side mm-hmm. in the, the Clasico, albeit not at right-back, but he was in a defensive role and a right midfielder in the Clasico. I think he would have played if he'd been fit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, when you take... When you, when you take that many key players out of the equation, it was always going to be difficult for Real Madrid. And I, I think this is a, a big summer for them. Having said that, I'm not sure what to expect from Real Madrid this summer because they're laden with debt and it doesn't really seem like they're, they're going to do much business. So it might be more of the same next season.
1: They'll just be savoring their two year UEFA ban, which is a, the current <laughs> update on what, what's coming to Real Madrid. So we we'll certainly will see, Graham. And you make a good point about maybe we're in, we're in transition with this team. That's for sure. Um, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about what, what Real Madrid did with their setup? Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued, as Graham mentioned here, with, um, with Vinny, Vinicius going right wing back, uh, who, which seemed to limit his attacking opportunities somewhat, had to get back and cover. And then was it Asensio, I think came in. And then Asensio switched flanks when Rodrigo came in. And that um, Rodrigo coming in seemed to be a bit of a gamble to take Casemiro out and put him on. What was Zidane trying to do here exactly?
2: Now, that is a good question. We we got to see Vinny, a.k.a. Italian mobster slash Brazilian playmaker uh, dribbler, play as a right wing back, which is a weird choice, but I I think Graham detailed why that happened really well with all the injuries that Real Madrid are dealing with right now. Zidane, in possession, set this team up in a flexible 3-5-2. I'm kind of waving my hands around fluidly as I'm talking right now. You guys can't (laughs) see, and listeners can't see either, but it's so fluid with how they possess. A lot of times it's Toni Kroos dropping into the back line in between two of the three center backs and then splitting the outside center backs wider and making it almost into a 4-4-2 at that point. Then you've got Nacho as a left back high up the field, or You've got Militao as a right back high up the field. And it does look a little bit strange at times, but the idea behind it is to get Kroos or or Modric. He did a lot of this as well, deeper on the ball to then pass the ball into the attack and and progress from there. But they didn't have a lot of success doing that. Hazard and, and Benzema didn't find the ball in good spaces between the lines, at least not that I can remember. And, Chelsea did a good job of pressuring Real Madrid and specifically pressuring those playmakers just like they did in the first leg of this tie. So they didn't have a lot of success breaking down Chelsea. Again, it's hard to break down a block. Chelsea didn't have to be the protagonists in this game, even from the start of the, the start of this match. So they could sit deeper and force Madrid to break them down. Benzema had a few quality chances, but beyond that, they didn't have much. And then defensively, I've already detailed the struggles that the center backs had because of the game plan. And the other thing is that narrow midfield that I touched on in my kind of my opening comments here. You've got Modric, you've got Casemiro, you've got Kroos, and I I agree with you, Graham. It looks like they're old trying to shift side to side. And then you add the fact that they have to cover for Vinny who's not a right wing back he's a he's a right winger or a left winger or, or something in the attack then they have to do even more running which they were incapable of doing over and over again Chelsea had the ball on one side switched it over to the other side attacked into space had the ball on one side switched it you get the idea Real Madrid had a game plan it just it just didn't work no
1: it, it certainly didn't it certainly didn't but um, before we move on from this game gents, I wanted to give credit to both the goalkeeper because goalkeepers both seem to have a pretty outstanding game. Mondi in the first half was almost a man in a match contender. I think Peter Schmeichel on the CBS coverage was... Praising his, uh, his, his, um, efforts there and, uh, the way he was, um, commanding his defense and stuff and saying what a good goalkeeper he is. And also, Courtois very much keeping the contest alive with some massive saves in the second half. I don't feel like we give quite, or well, in general, we don't give enough credit to goalkeepers, but this one seemed like the scoreline was very much kept down by both, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if Chelsea had had Kepa and goals, Real Madrid would have been three up
3: <laughs> by halftime. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Courtois, I'm glad you mentioned Courtois there because I, for, it's really strange for, for for a player who is one of the most expensive goalkeepers of all time, who plays for Real Madrid, I still feel like Courtois doesn't get the credit he deserves. I know he's, I know he's widely regarded as one of the best goalkeepers, but for me this season, he's probably been the best goalkeeper in Europe. I watch Real Madrid every single week for, for, for my, um, for my job and, and he, he initially he was obviously very shaky at Real Madrid and even last season there were a couple of mistakes. I, I can't think really of a of a big error he's made this season. Maybe there is one, but he's he's been really solid for Real Madrid all through the season and we saw that tonight because this would have been a, 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 an absolute thumping if it hadn't been for
1: some of the saves that, that he made. Absolutely. Uh, one last word in Eid Azar. Um Graham I think you had some some comments about um his performance in this one and also we need to touch on the fact that he was basically celebrating with Chelsea oh, players yeah. at the end I don't know if you saw that
3: I did see that and I'm not normally I'm not one of these uh, old men who likes footballers you know how you see people complaining on a a, 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 a footballer post something to Instagram after a game and people complain why are you why are you not you know in a deep dark room thinking about what you've done I'm not usually one of those people <laughs> Having said that, if I was a Real Madrid fan watching Hazard at the end of that match, I would, yeah, that would maybe get to me a little bit, um, just a little bit over the top. I, I actually forgot he was playing until about thirty minutes in, which is strange because I, I, I felt before kickoff he was one of the things that might just get Real Madrid through. He he started against Osasuna on, on Saturday and had a really good first half and gave something Real Madrid gave Real Madrid something they they'd lacked recently just a bit of drive a bit of energy a bit of link up play and i thought that that could be a deciding factor for real madrid if they're going to get through this game but he was he just offered nothing at all in this match
1: yeah big shame well, with him not getting a lot of game time well certainly he's coming back into action and sergio ramos i think it's 7 weeks since he last played for real madrid and this whole team being held together by electrical tape apparently maybe it's no surprise that um, real madrid did not go through and chelsea did and you mentioned uh, players who should be sitting in a dark room thinking about what they did more on that after the break we talk about Paris Saint Germain
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right
4: Courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to slash courtside to learn more. Total
1: Soccer Show, we are back. Let's talk about the other semi final second leg Manchester City versus Paris Saint Germain. This one also finishing 2 0 to the English side, 4 1 on aggregate to Manchester City. Snow in Manchester, Graham, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I did not see that one coming. By the way, does the Champions League have like an orange or a yellow ball? Because it seemed like at times that would have been appropriate.
3: Yeah. I mean, the one time, how many times do you see them use the fluorescent ball and think, ah, it's not, it's not really needed today. This was the one time. This was the (laughs) one time we wanted that ball and, and, and they didn't have it. I was actually getting, uh, because the way it was, um, I think it was actually hail, but because it was lying on the pitch, it was, it was giving me sore eyes (laughs) watching, watching the match. But, um, yeah, maybe not as sore eyes as uh, Rachel Pochettino had at the end of this match, having, having watched yeah. his team slump.
1: That's right. Sore eyes all over in the Paris Saint-Germain dressing, dressing room, I imagine. Why don't we start with Paris Saint-Germain first then? Joe, um, Mbappe not, not making a meaningful impact on this game, <laughs> quite literally. Um, would he have made a difference to what went on with Paris Saint-Germain here?
2: Yes. Oh, yes. I, I Ryan, thank you for lobbing the softball my direction right off the top. <laughs> I, I genuinely appreciate that. I, I think... I think losing Mbappe hurt, man, this is, this sounds so, so obvious and I'm not trying to just state the obvious here. Losing Mbappe hurts and not having Mbappe hurts. He provides so much to PSG when they counterattack, number one, but also in possession. And I think they really missed having someone who will make active runs in behind to create a little bit of space for Neymar or to create a little bit of space for Verratti on that left side, which is where PSG, I think, did the majority of their possessing. They missed that nine who's going to create space. And Accardi just doesn't do that. He makes runs in the box. He creates separation for himself in those areas. But if you can't get into those areas, it doesn't really matter a whole lot, does it? So when Mbappe's out dealing with this injury, Pochettino decides he's not ready to play. PSG lose a lot. They lose in transition. They lose in possession. And they end up losing this game. Maybe not specifically because of that, but I think that's certainly one of the factors here.
1: Yeah, definitely so. And I saw a lot of people criticising Icardi for sort of not getting off touches, but that's not kind of, the, as you say, it's not kind of the player he is. He is he's, he's one of those get-in-the-spaces-at-the-right-moment kind of players. But uh, also in the front line, Graham Neymar, who didn't have a classic Neymar performance. Well, he did in some ways. He went down screaming unnecessarily a few <laughs> times. But um, his selfishness, I thought, really came to the fore on a few occasions here. Uh, there there was some time I think there was a chance in the second half where he had the opportunity to lay off to a very wide open uh, Morricardi and decided to press on and go it alone and I think there was more than once where that happened and he thought come on yeah don't the, do that yeah the,
3: the, this, this was the game that Neymar has been waiting for and probably the kind of thing that he envisaged when he, when he moved to PSG he, he obviously thought he was going to be the main man at psg stepping out of uh, messi's uh, shadow and then obviously mbappe emerges but as we've mentioned already mbappe's watching from the from the bench for this game so it was all on his shoulders and i i uh, had had a misguided feeling before this match that Neymar was was going to produce the performance to define his whole time at PSG. Um, and well, he did actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. This was a, this was a complete reflection of 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 what his time at, at PSG and and the the number of dribbles into blind alleys and yeah, it felt it felt quite selfish at times. And and to be honest, and I wrote a piece about this today. Neymar's a brilliant player, but I I it's getting to the point where I do wonder whether PSG would be better off just moving him on. If he wants to if he wants to leave, then leave. He's on thirty seven million euros a year salary. Um mm. and that money could probably be well spent on some fullbacks, I'd imagine. Is is probably an area of that PSG team that could use a little bit of money, I would say.
1: Yeah. Oh Florency's fun. Look give him that. But um Joe, let's talk about PSG and how they're setting up here. You know, obviously the four three three, and we know what Poch is about. But it seemed like they would they were trying to put bodies forward in the second half, and they were trying to go for it a bit more. And it just it just gave City more and more opportunities to counter against them. And as that went on, they were kind of losing it emotionally. The the ill discipline cost them in both legs. Obviously, with the red card for, for Di Maria in this one as well for a very very unnecessary challenge, but. What do you think went wrong for a POTS team here? And we can use the cliche about, you know, a POTS team going all the, def- getting a bit spursy
2: towards the end of things, but if you can be a bit more technical than that. <laughs> I'll happily try. PSG, just like Real Madrid, had to be the protagonist. The English teams didn't have to because of how they set themselves up in the first legs of these two semifinals. And so, Man City come out and play this... I know you asked about PSG, I'll get there, don't worry. Man City come out and play this 4-4-2, and it looks like Atletico Madrid. They're sitting a little bit deeper and and compressing space really well, which then forces PSG to take the ball, move it, and break them down. And PSG did well, I think, in certain moments of this game, in progressing the ball, breaking through City's press, which they did press at times, and then using Paredes and, and Verratti and Neymar to progress the ball into the final third or into the attacking half. That all went well for stretches, But then in the final third, they lacked the ability to create space. And and part of that is because City defended so narrow, the logical space is out wide. But as Graham mentioned, the fullbacks, I, I didn't think were up to the pace in this game either. Diallo on the left and Florenzi on the right. Neither one of them had a major impact in this game, even though that's where the space was. And I think PSG needed those players to have bigger games because everything was so compressed, so packed in, so tight in the middle. The spaces out wide and PSG either were unwilling to use that space or were incapable of effectively using that space in possession. And I think as a result of that, they didn't create a lot of chances with the ball in this game.
1: Yeah, I think the headline here, perhaps, gents, is the city were just very cohesive and, and I don't want to use the word professional again, but they, <laughs> they were well disciplined, whereas Paris Saint-Germain just seemed a bit untamed and pretty ill-disciplined, particularly when things started unraveling for them. But... Um, you know, Pep, Pep is often accused of overthinking these games. Sometimes he underthinks them. Graham, what was the over-under on the thinking here from <laughs> Pep? Because it's, it seemed like, it seemed like it was just, everything just went right for them in this one.
3: Yeah, I, I don't think, um, Pep was up through the night thinking about this one. And, and that's a good thing. I think, you know, Pep, Pep's partner needs to, before big Champions League nights, needs to tuck him in bed before, you know, the early hours to stop him overthinking his, his strategy because th- this just felt like, What we, what we've seen from City all through, all through the season. Uh, Having said that, on the defensive side of the ball, it was some, it was something slightly different. And I do think Guardiola's shown that he's learned from past Champions League failures when City were a bit too open. He wasn't afraid, afraid to set up his team here to, to, to sit quite deep and, and absorb and deny PSG that space in behind. That's kind of how they they handled PSG's threat, which albeit was a, uh, blunted a little bit with with having uh, Mbappe on the bench. But out of possession, they seem to... There was a good Michael Cox article about this in The Athletic. They, they, they seem to be set up in a, in a 4-4-2 shape with uh, Bernardo and Kevin De Bruyne as the front two. Which is not terribly orthodox, but I know they've played a strikerless system a lot this season. But to have a a, a 2 shape like that with those two as as the front two is not terribly orthodox for a, for a Pep team. And the, the 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 midfield four was kind of used to determine how high their their press was. So all four midfielders were in, were in sync, which just was again key to restricting PSG uh, and having any kind of space to to run into and behind or even through the the center of of, of midfield. So. Uh, Yeah, it it, it was, I think I saw someone um, describing it as a typically pet performance with a a little taste of Atletico
1: Madrid, which I thought was a, a pretty good description. That is a pretty good description. And your description of Pep being tucked in at night by his wife, by the way, that's that's sending my mind racing. I just imagine he doesn't sleep. He just sort of crouches on his haunches next to a whiteboard <laughs> and goes into low energy mode for a few hours. That's, that's how I imagine uh, his I nights ju- go by. I just imagine
3: he he sleeps in that giant
1: cardigan that he wore for, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, better than any duvet. that is. I bet he's got a hammock version. He's got a <laughs> hammock version at the City Training Ground. That's what he does. Uh, anyway, less of that. Uh, Joe, uh, we should talk about City's defence. Because it seemed to their proper defending was the key to this, even, you know, behaving themselves from set pieces, which may, be, may have let them down. I think Marquinhos had a decent chance again from a set piece uh, in this game. But uh, Ruben Diaz, obviously incredible, blocking every single shot that Paris and Jamaica could put on the net. And in the show notes, uh, Joe, you wanted to. Pour some praise on Edison, who was quite good in this game, and particularly by setting up the first goal, completely cutting out PSG half their team, bypassing them, and setting up Zinchenko to uh, put the run in for that goal.
2: Yeah, the individual performances from City in within the defensive structure, I think, were very good. You mentioned Ruben Diaz there; he was everywhere. Graham, I saw you wrote a, a piece about him talking about his defensive exploits in this game, blocking shots, doing all the defensive things. Credit to John Stones as well, and really that entire back line, Sinchenko and Kyle Walker as well, for making moves defensively. They did really well back there. And then, yeah, Ederson, that ball on the first goal for Manchester City was just unreal. So City have the ball in their own half. They play it back to Ederson who then just pings this ball over the top to Zinchenko. It looks a little bit rehearsed. It looks like Zinchenko's high waiting for that ball. He beats PSG's offside trap, and he's also within his own half as Ederson plays the ball over the top. So it wouldn't even have mattered if he'd been onside because he's still in his own half, so he would have been anyway. Zinchenko gets that ball out of the air from Ederson. He keeps running, gets it down, and then pulls it back to De Bruyne. It's a deflected shot from De Bruyne that falls fortunately to Riyad Mahrez. But that goal just... It doesn't happen without Aderson. It doesn't happen without that the the style of goalkeeper that's kind of the pinnacle of what Pep is trying to do. That style of goalkeeper goalkeeper can be useful defensively and and can step high and make make tackles, you know, closer in midfield than you would expect. Can save shots and then can also play out of the back to start counterattacks to just keep possessions moving. Ederson is just such an important piece of this Man City team and that's been talked about plenty, but not as much recently just because that the trend and the excitement of oh, these goalkeepers are now doing things with their feet that's kind of died down because it's normal now. But Credit to Ederson for doing what he's done for quite some time and having it be in such a big moment.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I just couldn't get the mechanics of that pass because he's got he's getting so much distance on it. It was like nearly three quarters of the field. It barely looked like he was swinging for the ball, and to get that much accuracy and that much power, I just I I can't understand how he does it. Well done to him there. But uh, you mentioned how how great that goal was, Joe. The second goal as well. A sublime counterattack, it was. Another Ria Mara's goal, this was, with sort of Kevin de Bruyne and Foden doing a really nice one, two, and, 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 de Bruyne putting a really perfectly weighted pass into, into Foden's path. Another perfectly weighted cross comes across for is Almost the, uh, archetype Man City goal there. But, um, you can't help but notice that Angel Di Maria just, just jogging. Diallo, just <laughs> jogging. No, no one's really bothered about this counterattack that's happening. So I think it, in some ways it was sublime from City, but also PSG, Brought it on themselves a bit, Joe.
2: Yeah, this is the classic things can be two things kind of kind of goal kind of moment. Man City's counter is so fast. From the moment that Fernandinho clears the ball, I think it's off of a PSG set piece, and Fernandinho clears the ball and this is before City have even settled it and actually gotten themselves on the ball and moving towards goal, but from the second the ball hits Fernandinho's foot, it's 15 seconds to when the ball is in the back of the net off of Briad Mahrez's shot. And so the ball's got to come down out of the air, then they've got to move the ball 80 yards forward. It's It's ridiculously fast, and City are so good at moving the ball quickly. We talk about tiki-taka and possession, and they do those things very well also, but they move the ball at pace better than almost any team in the world. Pep's teams have always done that, at least as far back as I can recall. But then, yeah, you have the issues with PSG defending this goal as well. They don't have man, they don't have a lot, especially without Idrissa Gay in this game, they don't have a lot of guys who do a ton of defensive work. It's pretty much just Herrera in midfield and then it's Paredes and Verratti who are more passengers defensively than they are actually going to drive the bus or drive anything in that space. And so, yeah, then you have Angel Di Maria and you have Neymar and you just don't have a ton of players who are going to track back and do that job. And I'm not sure even if they had that it would have mattered because of how good City are at moving the ball forward, but you can't look at this PSG squad and say that defensive transition moments aren't a weakness for them at times.
1: Yeah, a big Gallic shrug is what this uh, PSG team were essentially in this game. Um, uh, Graham, Rib Mahrez, we should probably give some, shine some light on him as well. I think I've written in the Guardian, he had 43 touches in the first half alone. He had four tackles and inter- interceptions as well. He was very, very good in this game. And a point that I think Ed Aarons made on uh, from, from the Guardian made <laughs> yeah. on Twitter is that Mahrez and Kante both going into the Champions League final Leicester bought both of those for six million pounds, and it says a lot about how far they've come. And I think there's been some some write ups of Mares and you know, coming to Leicester as a as a Championship player, look where he is now—quite superb. Yes, I you you beat me to it with the the
3: Leicester City mention there. That whoever spotted them for for Leicester City has had a good week or a good couple of weeks because you could argue that Mares and Kante were the best players for in in both legs that they played. Uh, so. Yeah, and there was a there was a Riyad Riyad Mahrez video that that went um, viral today, where he was talking about the opportunity he had to sign for Saint Mirren in Scotland. But in his words, Scotland Scotland was quote cold and terrible. (laughs) So. (laughs) <laughs> is, he, is he wrong? Uh, on, on, the, on the terrible bit, yes. No, I'm only kidding. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah Marez definitely flies under the, the, the radar a little bit, doesn't he? Which is insane considering mm. he's a £60 million player who's won the Premier League and has also been PFA player, players... Uh, sorry, too many players there. Players player of the year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he, he had, a, he had a, a really good game here and it feels like he's just kind of squeezed out Sterling as... Pep's favoured option to provide some width. Width, I know he he cuts inside a lot, but he is the the one who provides a little bit of width. And uh, yeah, I also enjoyed him winding up, um, some of the, the PSG players who obviously they completely yeah. imploded after 60 minutes, which was essentially a rage quit, uh from PSG. I've been there where you, <laughs> you just, you just think, ah, oh, this is completely done. Um, Ander Herrera as well, not just Di Maria, Ander Herrera getting involved with, I saw someone describing him as a, as a, as a plastic poop house. You don't totally believe it, you know, even though if he's got the, <laughs> he's got the whole act, he's up in your face, but you're not, you're not really that scared. It's a little bit like, you know, that film, um, Oh, what's it called? The one with Seth Rogen, I think it's called maybe This is the End, where Michael Cera plays a badass in it. But you don't really... Yep. Yeah, that's Ander Herrera, basically, in this game. He's <laughs> he's Michael Cera playing a badass in this game, trying to pretend he's a poop house, but he's not really. Oh, uh, In his Ray-Bans trying to look all cool. Sorry, yeah, that was the, the most rambly point ever. You you started off asking me about Mares and now I'm to, on to how uh, Ander Herrera is Michael Cera.
1: That's why we're here, Graham. Is why you get the big bucks. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, but you, you asked her, by the way, who, who found Maris and Canty. I believe that was the scout Steve Walsh, who is now scouting for Charlotte FC. Look out Major League Soccer in 2022 is all I have to say on that matter. So we do gents have, um, two English teams in the final as we have established. Joe, what do you think about that as, is that an indictment on the teams on the continent necessarily? Is it deserved that the English teams have made it this far? Because there was a point, you know, 12 or 13 years ago where it was almost a given that you get several English teams in the semi-finals, and when you got an all English final it was like yeah fair enough because the Premier League's the strongest is is that fair right now is the
2: Premier League head and shoulders above does is it warranted Joe I, I think this is not an indictment on the rest of the continent but I think it's deserved the, that these two specific teams are in this Champions League final I think I don't think the Premier League is heads and shoulders above the rest of the top five leagues or the rest of the leagues in Europe at all, really. I think they have a lot of talent, but there are some poorly run clubs towards the top of the Premier League, just as there are in La Liga or in any league. Take your pick in Europe right now. Man City and Chelsea are both excellent. They're coached by excellent coaches. They have tons of talent. They spent a bajillion dollars pounds they spent so much money to build these teams as have other teams in Europe but they have the talent they have the skill they have the execution to get to this point and there's also something to be said for the fact that the Champions League just like the World Cup or any knockout tournament is a little bit random at times is a little bit uh, it does rely on luck in specific moments you have to get a little bit fortunate to get there but all of that said the, the two teams that are in the final I think deserve to be in the final but the rest of Europe is is it's certainly no slackers either. There's talent there, and I don't think the Premier League is heads and shoulders above the rest based off of these two teams making the final.
1: What a diplomatic answer, Joe. I like that. <laughs> very balanced. Thank you very much, um, Graham. It's uh, Joe's favorite part of the show. It's prediction time. Um, I think <laughs> yes, when Chelsea bring it. Yeah, I, there is documented evidence on this very podcast of when Chelsea beat Porto, and I said Chelsea are just going to win this whole thing. And I wish I put money on it at that point because I'm not sure my my uh, my thought has changed on that. I feel I feel like this this is 2012 again. Um, what what do you think, Graham?
3: I just look at that city squad, um, and just think they are really, really good. (laughs) I mean, yesterday, the PSG, pure portcino only has, you know, Mitchell backer and, and, and Moise Keane's not bad and Danilo Pereira is a decent player, but Julian Draxler, who's not the player he was a few years ago, he, they're the sort of players he's taken off, he's bringing off the bench. And then Pep's bringing on Sterling, Aguero, Jesus. And then the players he didn't bring on were Laporte, Mendy, Aki, Cancelo, Ferran Torres, Rodri. (laughs) I mean, it's just a little bit ridiculous, to be honest. I I just feel like, I know Chelsea beat uh, City in the FA Cup semi-final a few weeks ago, but City weirdly rested a few games for, a few players for that game. So I just feel like once they get their strongest 11 on the pitch, I think City will just be too strong.
1: It's a good point, but City have been strong in previous years as well. We've, you know, they've been pretty, pretty darn good and still not quite made it on the European stage. That still makes me think Chelsea might get this done. Joe, your prediction, everybody's waiting for it with bated breath.
2: (laughs) Okay. So here's my thought process here, folks. I, I think if I, if I pick Man City and they win, you know, oh, you picked Man City, everybody picked Man City. If I pick Chelsea and they win, then it's it's a little bit of the underdog's pick, and I look better for backing the American who is most likely to play. So, Ryan, I'm going to follow in your footsteps. I don't know if our reasoning was similar at all. I suspect it's not, but I- I'm going to say Chelsea's <laughs> going to win this whole darn thing. Do I actually believe that? Who knows, man? But it- it's going to be a fun game, and I am I am genuinely excited for it.
3: Basically, it's going to be a case of, is, is Tuchel Avram Grant, or is he Roberto Di Matteo in this final?
1: Oh, wow, what a choice. <laughs> i guess uh i guess he wants to be roberto but we shall see graham we Everybody shall does. see <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed well given given that choice i suppose you're right um we're going to come back after these short messages with some
4: conquer action this episode is supported by fx's welcome to wrexham Total Soccer Show, we are back.
1: We are talking CONCACAF Champions League and the quarter-final stage. In particular, we had some second legs going on on Tuesday evening. Uh, some other second legs going on on Wednesday evening. Just a little uh, they've, they've missed our recording time unfortunately, but we're going to talk about a couple of games from Tuesday. Starting off, Joe, with uh, Philadelphia taking with Atlanta United. This one finishing 1-1 on the night 4-1 on aggregate Philly with the 3-0 lead from the first leg. Uh, when we talked about this one last week, Joe, it was a story of Atlanta being very good despite getting a 3-0 pounding. Um, how did that balance look in this game? It kind of
2: flip-flopped. Well, first of all, you know, boo on CONCACAF for not scheduling their games around our recording times. That's extremely disrespectful. <laughs> know, right? um, I, it's, it's their loss. It's, our, it's everyone's loss, really. The, the game kind of flip-flopped. In the first leg, like, as you said, Ryan, I thought Atlanta were very good. They were really fun, super fluid in possession, but using that fluidity to actually create some chances in the first 45 minutes. And then they come out and get blitzed a little bit in the second half on the counter in this game. Atlanta have a ton of the ball because they have to break the union down because they need three goals to, to extend this game and have a chance to win this tie, but they can't break the union down. The union defended really well in that four, four, two diamond and, and Atlanta United looked a little bit lost trying to pull players out. They get a goal right before halftime, thanks to a moment of absolute class from Santiago Sosa, their new number six slash center center back slash legend. But he does it all, does not he? He does. He genuinely does. And it's a bit of a microcosm for how Heinzel wants to play. It's it's you move here, then you move here and the defense says, whoa, he just moved from there to there. I was not expecting that. And you multiply that by 10 for the outfield players and you get the idea. It is total football esque. Johan Cruyff, I think would genuinely be a little bit proud, but, Atlanta still have had lots of lapses between understanding that they, they need to be fluid and Heinzel wants them to be fluid, but also figuring out how to transition from being fluid to actually creating chances. In all of their games under Gabriel Heinz this year, they've only scored more than one goal in one of those games. And that was against the Chicago Fire, who are super leaky defensively. They, they are error prone to say the least in Major League Soccer. And so I'm not hugely surprised that Atlanta couldn't continue their momentum from the first 45 minutes of the last leg. But they needed to do that, and they couldn't. Do we need to worry at all about
1: Atlanta's defending, Joe? I think one of my takeaways is it looked it looked quite curious at some points and, and vulnerable at set
2: pieces. Yeah, yes, and no. Yes, because I think there are individual defensive errors that could be improved. I'm I actually thinking more of the last leg with Alan Franco, their designated player center back, who was kind of all over the place. It, it was his first game, to be fair. But in in this game, I guess I'm less concerned with. The individual errors and more thinking that some of the defensive problems were just a factor of how the game had to be played. Atlanta needed to push numbers forward. They needed to create chances. As it turns out, they couldn't. But by pushing numbers into the attack, you then leave yourself vulnerable for space, with space in behind or in between your lines or whatever the situation is. The Union are so dangerous attacking in transition. They have been over the last couple of years under Jim Curtin. And they will break through you. They will score goals. And as it turns out, they did towards the end of this game. I don't think that's a huge issue for Atlanta overall, though. I think that's more of just a situation that that was specific to this particular match.
1: Yeah, quite a lot of Atlanta shirts in the six-yard box. Nowhere near Casper Chybilkow when he uh, did get that late goal. I, I couldn't help but notice. Um, Graham, were you able to watch this one in the UK?
3: Not, not live. We, there's still not a, not a broadcast <laughs> deal in the UK for the Concacaf Champions League. But I, I did manage to catch the highlights. And and Sosa was the the player who um, naturally caught my eye. Obviously with the goal, um, I to my shame haven't seen much of him a bit before he moved to, to MLS. Um, so I wasn't entirely sure what to expect of him. And from what I'd read of him, I was uh, watching that goal. I'm a, a little bit like, and why is he out in that position <laughs> scoring from there? <laughs> uh, and then and then uh, Matthew Doyle's kind of analysis for MLSsoccer.com was he was focused on Sosa and, and basically echoed what you guys were saying, which is he is a, a guy for every job. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to watching him in MLS this season.
1: To, to your shame, Graham, that you haven't seen much of him before he came to Atlanta. Uh, you, you watch a lot of soccer. You don't have to feel shame that you don't get to watch River Plate and all. I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't. The, the thing I wouldn't is, the
3: thing is, I, I probably have. I, I've watched like River Plate and, and Libertadores and, and stuff like that, but I, I, I can't recall having seen him. So yeah, that's that's shameful.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think the highlight for me was um, the the the, the uh, sideline scrap with Jim Curtin in his yes. hoodie, uh, having some pretty heated words yes, right. with Gabriel Hintzer in This one,
2: Joe. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was a nice little. Uh, it wasn't a scrap. It wasn't a dust up. But it was a, a disagreement. Certainly, a mincing of words, uh, a clashing of words between those two coaches. I think it all stemmed from Jim Curtin apparently not getting Sergio Santos off the field fast enough in the second half after he went down with a quote-unquote cramp. It might have been a cramp. It might not have been. I don't know. And it doesn't really matter. But Hinze wanted that to all happen faster so his team could have a, a better chance to actually come back in this game. And uh, afterwards, they they had a little meeting. They had a nice little long conversation. I I didn't catch the end of it, but I don't think there was any shaking of hands that happened. And Jim Curtin had some nice, edgy post-match comments. And Man, I, I just don't think there's a way to spin this that's not entertaining. One, and also just good for major league soccer. Uh so I'm one hundred percent here for more coaching beefs across the league. Um just pencil my name down on that petition.
1: Yeah, we will, we will. It's it's tough to be edgy in a sky blue hoodie, I think. But is, but but Jim nice. Curtin
2: can do it, man. Jim Curtin can do it. <laughs>
1: Can indeed, can indeed. And um, Philadelphia Union can certainly do it. They are in the semi-finals of the Champions League for the first time in their history. They will face either the Portland Timbers or Club America. Uh, as a d- uh, listener, you may know by the the result of that game by the time you listen to this one. Why don't we talk about the other game from Tuesday evening, uh, Cruz Azul against Toronto. Uh, the Azteca, never an easy place to go, whether they're fans or not. This one finishing 1-0 to, to Cruz Azul. Um, 4-1 on aggregate to the Mexican side as well, who are in very good form, who are leading the or a stage of Liga 1 at the moment as well and Toronto without a few big names as well Joe seemed like it was never going to go their way this one
2: it- it really wasn't. And they didn't cause Cruz Azul a ton of trouble. I loved on the broadcast, before I talk a little bit more about Toronto, on the Fox broadcast, they had a little infographic talking about the first leg of this tie was played at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, which is basically at sea level. I think it's 36 feet above sea level. And then Estadio Azteca is 7,000 plus feet above sea level. Just the difference in elevation, I think, is is fascinating in some weird way. And I don't know if that played any, any factor here. But Toronto struggled to break Cruz Azul down which is kind of understandable. They're missing Pozuelo still. They're missing their, their new signing, who's not expected to be a part of this game at all, but still Jefferson Soltado, who's a very highly rated player coming from uh, the Brazilian League. They're missing pieces right now. You no know Jose Altador, who you can never really count on at this point in his career to actually be available and fit. But Toronto didn't create a ton of chances. They tried to play direct over Cruz Azul, and that didn't pay off a lot. And they they didn't give up a ton of chances either. The goal that Tenorio scores for Cruz Azul was an absolute banger. But it comes from a bit of direct play that Toronto can't take in any advantage out of. It comes from balls in midfield that they can't truly win and settle and then attack on their own. Toronto didn't look bad in this game, but they certainly didn't look all that good either.
1: Yeah, that was a banger as well. Graham, did you see that goal? It, it reminded me a lot of uh, sort of Peck's Latan that goal from uh, Brian Angulo. <laughs> yep, uh, uh, a banger is definitely how
3: to how to describe that goal. Uh, uh, from the highlights, just, sorry, just to, to switch a little bit to, to TFC, it just felt like from the highlights they were they were quite manic in their play from the start, and understandable they wanted to play with 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 quite a bit of urgency, but just felt like everything was uh, was a, a little bit rushed. And I know Armas wants to implement a a high press style but as, as joe mentions there it just feels like the pieces aren't in place for yet for them to do that but I, I am interested to see where tfc go from 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 this point especially with uh, the sotaldo the new dp coming in but um just when you were mentioning raymond james stadium they're sorry to completely shift focus there <laughs> is, is, is the weekend still locked in the scoreboards at, at raymond james stadium in tampa trying to find his way out <laughs> From, the, I, from I, think
2: the- he, I think he, might be just trapped in there from the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't think he's been either been allowed to leave or, or has chosen to leave. I'm not sure which it is. Yeah,
1: poor guy, still wandering those lit lit hallways somewhere back there underneath the pirate ship or something. I imagine poor guy. I do. Um, I do.
2: Th- oh, sorry, sorry, Ryan. I just wanted to say, Graham, you talking about what Chris Armas is trying to do and, and the fact that they're still missing players my My biggest takeaway from this game is i 'm still so curious to see what Toronto are going to look like when they are as close to fully healthy as they 're going to get. You get Pozuela, you get Soltado how is this team going to look? Does Chris Armas still high press, even though they don't have the center back talent to really play the high line? They don't have the speed. They get Chris Mavinga back for the first 45 minutes of this game, which is good. He's their best center back by a mile. They're rumored reported for an Argentinian center back, but I don't think that guy's all that mobile from what I've read and and heard from people either. So I'm just curious, is this team going to, to press high and play that high line or are they going to try to use the ball more? Cause they're going to have the attacking talent to, break teams down, at least in Major League Soccer. I just am really curious to see how Chris Armas is going to continue to evolve his tactics or how he's going to continue to set up this team going forward.
1: Well, that was going to be my follow-up question, Joe, because do do we have to worry about Toronto a little bit this season? I mean, not the best start to to the domestic campaign. Was it six goals conceded in in the first two games already? Looks like there's a bit of frailty. and We can give them dispensation for not having a full-strength squad at the moment, but do we need to worry?
2: A little bit. I think, yeah, I, I do think a little worry is warranted. They don't have defensive talent, really. They, they are getting Kamar Lawrence, reportedly, by the Athletic. Uh, it, it looks like they're going to be bringing him back and have their— le- oh, not back, but back to Major League Soccer and have him be their de facto left back, which I think will help. He's a, a very talented player. But I don't think they have center back talent. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They struggle to defend on set pieces, or at least they have so far this year. I am concerned about their ability to defend. I am not as concerned about their ability to score goals. I think they're going to be hugely entertaining with Pozuelo and with Soltado, with Ayo Akinola or, or whoever's playing up top. Noble Akello maybe getting some minutes off the bench, young Canadian talent. They have some really fun players to watch. Richie Larea, Delgado, Michael Bradley, Jonathan Osorio. I, I'm not concerned about them with the ball yet, but I am, I am a little bit concerned about their ability to play without the ball, which is important when Chris Armas is your head coach.
1: Indeed. Well, they've got an opportunity to catch a W when they uh, face the Red Bulls this weekend. We shall see. I think that just about wraps it up for this show, gents. Thank you very much for joining me on this intrepid journey through two brands of Champions League. Graham, is there anything more you'd like to leave your mark on this wonderful recording before we head off?
3: Nope. I think we have covered everything over two confederations, uh, eight teams, everything. I think we covered it all. We did
1: indeed. You'd be very proud of yourself, Graham. Thank you very much for joining us once again. We do appreciate your time. (laughs) Thank you very much. Catch you next time. That sounded unnecessarily condescending, by the way. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, pleasure as always. Thank you very much. sir. Thank you, Ryan. Bye.